Thanks for joining us today for the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Now, here's today's message. First Thessalonians chapter number five today. First Thessalonians chapter number five. And we are going to be reading from verse 16 down through verse 28. So we're going to take up the rest of First Thessalonians and wrap up our series here together. First Thessalonians 15, I'm not 15, there's no such thing. First Thessalonians 5, verse 16, down through verse number 28. Uh, the Bible says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast, that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. Did you do that today? Uh, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I want to preach on this uh, in conclusion. Paul's final conclusion. We're going to talk about in conclusion. Let's pray and then we're going to dive right into our text today. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come to this time now to study your word, to Lord hopefully understand it and apply it to our own lives. Uh, God, I pray that you would guide me and direct me, give me wisdom. Uh, just uh, help me to know exactly what to say this morning, Lord. Uh, I pray ultimately that the things that are said and everything that's done would lift up the name of Jesus and that we would be encouraged to become more like Christ because we were in church today. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all you do for us each and every day. And it's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Okay, so we've reached the end of 1 Thessalonians and Paul is sharing his closing thoughts with the believers here. And he's challenged them throughout this book on many important doctrines. He's uh, confronted them with hope in Christ, uh, in Christ, 1 Thessalonians chapter number four. He's encouraged them to live on purpose for Jesus until he returns. And as we saw last week, we, we saw how the church is to relate to one another, both uh, leaders and members alike, how the church should be busy about caring for one another. And the text before us are Paul's concluding remarks. And just like any good preacher, he uh, essentially preaches an entire sermon after he says, in conclusion, right? So here we are, he's in his conclusion. And I wanna look at three different sections of his last words to the Thessalonians. And I'd like to answer the question, how should we live in light of Paul's words? This is really how we should approach the scriptures anytime we read it, is how should I live in light of what I'm reading here? We may not be the original audience of this letter, uh, but this conclusion has application for our life. So let's just dive right in. Take a look at Paul's threefold conclusion to the Thessalonians. He begins, first of all, with the command. Verse number 16, rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. He gives a Thessalonians, three particular commands, and each of them are in relation to how we should live each and every day. First, rejoice evermore. It's the idea of being joyful at all times and on every occasion. 
Rejoice always. And this isn't the first or the last time that you'll read Paul saying this. He told the Philippians, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And he told the second Corinthians, he told the Corinthians in his second letter to them in uh, chapter number six, he said, as sorrowful, he's talking about his ministry. They're full of sorrow, he says, yet always rejoicing. And again, this is a command. This is not something to be considered optional for the believer. This is something that we should just do. We should rejoice always. Always be full of joy at all times. He continues. He says, pray without ceasing. Now, this is not the idea of walking around with your eyes closed and your head bowed and praying and, you know, just being in that kind of a state. This is, uh, this is something different than that. It's a, it, uh, the word ceasing, it means determined resolve. So it's the idea of being in like a constant state of prayer, to be in constant communion with God. It's not prayer, I'm afraid, so often gets compartmentalized in our Christian life in the sense that it's just part of our daily routine. Prayer is that, that those moments of my day, but really it's meant to be the main function of our daily Christian life. Pray without ceasing, pray constantly in all things. He continues, he says, in everything, give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. He told the Ephesians in Ephesians 5, Paul said, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is how we should just live our lives. Every day in all things, give thanks. Why? That's the question. Why should we do it? Why should we do it? Why should we rejoice evermore? Why should we pray without ceasing? Why should we give thanks in all things? He says in verse 18, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God's will for believers is that we rejoice always, that we pray without ceasing, that we give thanks in every th everything. There is no time when we shouldn't rejoice or when we shouldn't pray. There's no circumstance that we should not give thanks to God in. This is just God's will for our life. And this goes against everything that's within us as human beings. When things get rough, what do we do? We complain. When things don't go to plan, we're ungrateful. When life gets challenging, we try to figure it out. Try to come up with our own solution. It's part of the human experience. And as long as we're on the earth, there's going to be a constant need for course correction, a need to be reminded over and over again that that should not be our response. And we live each day. And as we live each day, we learn by God's grace and through sanctification, which we'll talk about here later on in the text, to do these things, to rejoice evermore, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in everything. So my question for you is, do you rejoice always? And this goes against our human thinking. And this is not the idea. And we've, we've all known those people. They put on a fake smile and they act like everything's okay. That's not what rejoice evermore means. It doesn't mean fake it till you make it. It's looking at the difficulty around us and still looking up to heaven and rejoicing in the goodness of God. Because brothers and sisters, I'd like to remind you this morning that the troubles we will face in this life are as bad as it will ever get for us. This is the, the worst it's ever gonna be. Paul told the Romans, he said, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with, with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Does that make it any easier this side of eternity? No way, not at all. 
But thanks be to God, this is bad as it will ever get. Because this is the worst it's gonna get, we can rejoice evermore. If nothing else, we can rejoice that this ain't the end for me. So when you get bad news this week, and you probably will, or if your coworker drives you nuts, and they might, or your brothers and sisters at the church don't live up to your expectations, you can still rejoice because that's God's will for your life. Because this is as bad as it's ever gonna be. We can rejoice evermore. I wonder, do you pray without ceasing? I'm still growing at this. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I'm not super good at this. Even in the most mundane and and trivial moments of life, I don't default to prayer. Because I I like to try to figure things out on my own. I'm just being honest with you. It's a lot easier in the human mind to just try to do things independent of God. And I think it's because we don't actually realize how much we need God every day, every moment of every day. And we end up being professing believers that live as functional atheists, trying to figure life out on our own without divine help, that we know what what God does. Brothers and sisters, we need Jesus. And what is prayer? It's confessed helplessness. That's all prayer is. It's confessing that I can't do it. And we don't like to admit that. Especially in America, we can do it. We don't like to admit we can't do it. So to pray without ceasing is literally to confess before God continually that we are helpless that we can't do it and that we need help and strength and grace that we do not have within ourselves. You're going to be faced with moments this week when you have to make a choice. Will I just try to figure this out or will I pray about this? Pray, pray without ceasing. And when those moments come, don't expect some wild epiphany. I think that's what we, we have, we've come to do sometimes is we expect a sign in the sky to know exactly what God wants us to do. Don't do that. Don't look for a random sign as an answer to prayer. Pray and ask God to guide you and give you wisdom. And the Bible says that anyone that asks wisdom, let him ask of God and God will do what? He'll give it to you liberally. And when you pray, move forward in faith, believing that God will give you the wisdom you need or maybe the patience you need or the strength you need as you face those moments. Pray without ceasing. That is God's will for your life. And then he says, give in everything, give thanks. Do you give thanks in everything? There there are circumstances in our life that are incredibly difficult. And this command isn't one that says to look at hard circumstances and act like it's no big deal and to be thankful for them. The Troel family, I undoubtedly believe this morning, they are not thankful that their husband was shot and killed in Iraq but they can be thankful in all things. Again, why? Two things. This is the will of God for us. And this is the worst it'll ever be. This is something that must be grown in us and developed in us by the work of God. We will face circumstances that are difficult, but according to this text, God wants us to give thanks in those times. So he gives us some commands, commands that aren't easy. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of God 
in Christ Jesus concerning you. He continues, though, number two, and he gives the caution. Look at verse 19. He says, quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. He's, he now moves into giving a word of caution, especially when it comes to the gathering of the church. And he says in verse 19, quench not the spirit. That word quench, it's the idea of literally like putting out a fire. It's used that way in uh, other places in the New Testament. It, so he's saying, don't put out the spirit's fire. Don't extinguish the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, be it his corporate work in, in all of our midst or in us and in each individual. And he continues in the next three verses and then gives commands as to how they should respond to prophecy. He says, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. Now remember something, the Thessalonians, they had been encountering uh, people who claimed to be prophets who were saying Jesus was coming back, but there was no hope for their dead loved ones. They had been experiencing these people. And they had also been, as we learned in 1 Thessalonians chapter number two, they had also been the recipients of the word of God from the apostles. Remember, he, Paul said, you received the word from us, not as it was the word of men, but as it is in fact the word of God. So his encouragement in verse 20 to despise not prophesying is a challenge to them to not treat all prophecy with contempt and deem it worthless because there were false prophets that had been among them. Instead, he tells them how to handle the message of someone who claims to be a prophet. Look in verse 21. He says, prove all things, test everything, put everything you hear to the test and that which is good, hold on to it. John told his audience, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. He says, try everything, hold fast to that which is good. And then he says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Now we tend to use this verse outside of its actual context. Uh, but in the context here, what is he saying? He's saying, when you, when you hear prophecy, test it, prove it, hold on to the good. And if it even looks evil, stay away from it. Stay away from it. Now, we find ourselves in a little bit of a different situation today. The apostolic office has ceased. And uh, we, we believe that the gifts that have accompanied them have ceased as well. So what that means is we're not getting prophetic words from God in the sense of brand new, never before heard messages like the Thessalonians would have encountered. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have the rest of the New Testament. So how do we take these, these words of Paul to them in their context and in their situation and apply it to our lives? Well, let's not be guilty, first of all, of quenching the Holy Spirit. That's not to say that anything that gets labeled as the Spirit moving among us gets to just go on without any question. What I believe it means for us today is that if the Spirit of God is at work in the church, we should be sure to check ourselves and live in such a way that we don't stifle the work that he's doing. May it not be said of any of us that we are uh, uh, putting a damper on what the Holy Spirit is doing in our midst. And second, we need to be hearers of the word with wisdom. With wisdom, we're not getting new words from God. We believe that the scripture is our final rule for all matters of faith and practice. So when somebody says something, we ask the question, what does the Bible say? And if it passes that test and it agrees with scripture, then we go with the scripture every time. But this also means that we have to listen with discernment. 
you can turn, the, you can get on social media because we live in a day now where you can listen to almost anyone who has any sort of opinion about anything that the Bible has to say. You can find people sharing a message of health, wealth, and prosperity. You can find people preaching a message of this supercharged grace living where anything goes and sin isn't so bad because, well, there's grace. You can find people proclaiming doctrines and beliefs that uh, are not necessarily found in the Bible, but they have one or two proof texts that they can apply to those things to prove their point. If you can think about it, somebody somewhere has probably claimed the Bible says it. So we must listen with discernment. And this isn't just about people out there on the radio. That's about the people in here, in our midst. Listen and put to the test the things you hear from anyone, me, Pastor Tyler, anybody that stands up in this pulpit, anybody that claims to be preaching the word of God, don't just take it wholesale, search the scriptures. See what it says, put it to the test. And if there's truth there, latch on to that truth. And if it even looks wrong, if it even looks false, get rid of it. Stay far away from it. So the caution is this, don't quench the spirit in the church. But listen to and test everything that you hear and hold on to the good stuff and stay far away from anything else. And I'm going to tell you this, the longer that we're on this earth, the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more vigilant, the more diligent we will have to be. He closes, though, number three, with the comfort. I love this part of the text. He says in verse 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. These verses leading up to verse 23, let's be honest, these things can feel kind of heavy from time to time. Uh, there are times in your life when you're not going to want to rejoice. How do, you, how do I do that? How do I give thanks and everything? How do I pray constantly? I wonder if the Thessalonians read this and thought, Paul, do you even understand what you're asking us? Like, this is difficult, man. Don't quench the Spirit's work in the church. Listen to and test prophecies and only keep what is good. Stay away from what is evil. This could have been very potentially overwhelming to the Thessalonians. And it seems, though, that Paul was anticipating this. When he comes to verse number 23, because he gives them some comfort, he says, and the very God of peace sanctify you Holy. This is the comfort. God is going to sanctify you wholly, completely. The, the word sanctify, it means to make holy. God is going to do that in you. And he, look what he says. He says, and I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to take you all the way home through this thing. Why? Because verse 24, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. The one that called you, and he's speaking of their salvation, the one that called you, the one that saved you, he is faithful. He is reliable and he will finish what he starts. The comfort is in knowing that God is the one that will grow these things in you. And sometimes we hear things like this, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. We hear this, do this and do that and you'll have a great Christian life. And, and there's no doubt about it. There are things to be done in the Christian life. It's just like a sailboat. If you get on a sailboat, there are over 60 working parts 
on a sailboat. And you have to make sure all of those things are functioning. But if you get on a sailboat and you do all the right things, but there's no wind, that boat goes nowhere. And in the Christian life, if you can do all of the right things, but God is not at work, your Christian life will go nowhere. Remember what Paul told the Philippians. He said, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Will, not might, not maybe, but will. He told the Philippians, he said, wherefore my beloved brother, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Get to work, but remember something. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God has started his work of salvation in you and he will finish it. Any growth in godliness in us is not in anything that we have within ourselves. It is the work of God in us. And God is not going to leave us undone. And that's good news. Because there are gonna be days when you just can't do this stuff. Let's just be real. You just, you just can't rejoice. Oh, God must be done with me. He's not. You're a work in progress and God sees his work all the way home. He will preserve us blameless unto the coming of Jesus Christ. And I thank God for that. Because if it was on us, we'd mess the whole thing up. But it is God's work in us. So if you're struggling with your Christian life, that's okay. We all struggle. We all face difficulty on our journey of sanctification. It's easy not to rejoice in hardship. It's difficult to pray constantly. It's hard to give thanks in all circumstances of life. It's way too easy to quench what the Holy Spirit is doing. It takes work and effort to test the things we hear and respond appropriately. It can feel hard and overwhelming and like nothing more than an uphill battle each day. But take heart because God is at work in you. He is sanctifying you and making you more and more like the image of his dear son, Jesus Christ. And as you understand how to rejoice evermore, remember, God is sanctifying you. As you grow in prayer, God is sanctifying you. As you learn to give thanks in every circumstance, God is sanctifying you. God is the one at work in your life. And while you may be the human instrument, because that's how God works, it's through human instruments, God is at work in you. What, what a relief. What a relief it is to know that I'm not tasked with growing these things perfectly in and of myself, but that God will grow them in me as I follow and obey him. Brothers and sisters, the comfort is knowing that no matter what God asks of his children in the process of sanctification, he is the one right there alongside of us doing the work in and through us. And like I said, he will never leave his work halfway done. He sees it through to completion. He will sanctify us unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So Paul concludes chapter number five with a few final charges. He says, brethren, pray for us, encouraging them to pray for their missionary endeavors. He says, greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. It's exactly what it sounds like when you read it. We just don't do that anymore. Hallelujah. Uh, he says in verse number 27, he says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read 
unto all the holy brethren. When you guys get this letter, read it before everyone. And then he concludes, he concludes with verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I think that's an interesting ending. After all he said in this book and all the rich doctrine he's taught, after all the commands he's given, after the comfort, after the caution, after all of that, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I think it's meant to be a reminder that you need the grace of God. After all is said and done, at the end of the day, when the book is closed up, when the sermon is over, you need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with you. And let's not think that us today are any different. The truths we've unfolded in this book, the commands that have, may have convicted our heart, the promises and comfort that have warmed our souls, with, through all of that, we need the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ each day to walk in the truth, to obey the commands, to soak up the comfort of God's word. He, he said in chapter number one, he said in verse uh, number one, he said, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wraps it up in verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Grace got this thing started and grace closes it out. And that is so true in our life. Grace is what got us going. Grace keeps us going. And grace, as John Newton said, will lead me home. So I hope that you'll obey these commands this week. You'll have an opportunity to complain probably before you leave. Rejoice, pray without ceasing, give thanks in everything. Make sure that you're not quenching the work of the spirit in your life and listen with discernment to the things you hear preached and taught. Take comfort in knowing that God will finish the work he has started in you because he is faithful. And above all, I pray that you'll remember that it is by, all by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Fellowship Baptist Church. Come visit us at 2501 Michigan Avenue, Panama City, Florida. For more information, check out fbcpanamacity.com. Have a great week.